Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number 877-973-7425. I want to go to the phones because Mark's been waiting. Didn't have time in the last segment. Mark, welcome to the program. Hey there, Eric. How are you doing? Great. How about yourself? All right. I was just curious. I noticed that the Kroger app has my old receipts going back to May of last year. So I went to some of those from around that time just to look and see. And from, it was either May or June of last year, it was a three-pound bag, Kroger store brand, frozen, skinless, uh, you know, uh, boneless uh, rib, uh, chicken breast. Three pound bag was seven ninety nine then, and now if you go to reorder, it's thirteen ninety nine. Yeah, it was just interesting to actually go in and see absolutely how prices have changed. It's very inconsistent. Eggs, the bag of a uh, dozen eggs I bought around that time was like three ninety nine, and now they're four twenty nine. So mm-hmm. things go up. Some things go up huge. Some things don't. It's really inconsistent. But it was uh, man, it was. It's really something to go in there and look, and you can see exactly what changed. Yeah, and, and you know what, what's what's here. also interesting, Mark, is it depends on on when you go, uh, because if you if you went, I'm willing to guess about six months ago, your egg prices actually would have been higher. Uh, because there were there were some industry problems, so the the prices go up and then they go back down, uh, but they never or that they, they they spike up and they reduce and never go back to what they were a year ago. Uh, beef prices are like that. Briskets. Uh, let me tell you, I, I actually uh, I, I I went to hell this weekend, I, and I, I try to avoid it. It's also known as Sam's Club, um, and I, I it just it the the brisket prices compared to what they were a year ago are better, but they're still bad. Um, and I only, I, now I didn't get one. A, a buddy of mine actually sent me a, a very nice Snake River Farms Wagyu brisket. I smoked it this weekend, but I happened to be in, in Sam's Club because I needed some other stuff and saw they had a pile of briskets. And I was like, what? What's the pro-? I was stunned uh, at how expensive they are even wholesale now. And it, it's not like they're the, the fancy ones. And yeah. I, I happened to comment to the butcher. He's like, oh, they're, they're cheaper now than they were last year, but they're still expensive. I started buying some meat at uh, Piggly Wiggly. I was just curious. Good prices on good meat at Piggly Wiggly. It's always an option. Yeah. Well, you know, as a matter of fact, there's an article. Uh, gosh, where was this? Uh, there's a national outlet covered Piggly Wiggly, which is it's harder and harder to find them outside of uh, rural and, and inner city parts of the South, but that they're really truly committed to keeping prices down as best they can because they know the demo of the people who tend to stop shop at a Piggly Wiggly are not high income earners, and so they're really they're conscious of that. And yeah, they're it's also, amazing. Um, go, go ahead. They're also franchises too, so that that may change how they how they price things. Yeah, I bet so. Uh, Ingles, by the way, I'm a big fan of Ingles because Ingles is very much the same. They they tend to be mid-market, small-market areas of the country uh, where the, the people who buy from them uh, tend to be people that they don't live in the city. They're they're out in the country, and, and they're more price-sensitive because of commutes and stuff, and Ingles does a very good job with prices. Now, everybody does, and, and Mark, I'll let you go there. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm fascinated in large part by grocery store pricing because I did not realize – how awful the margins are for grocery stores. 
You do not go into grocery stores to get rich, people. You just, uh, to, to like the grocery store business, you don't open a grocery store expecting to get rich. The margins are so small. And there are some, because of their unique clientele, they go to the, like, for example, uh, so I shop at a Publix. Y'all, I love Publix. If, if you're not in the Southeast, you probably don't have a Publix. I love Publix. Uh, I, I, I absolutely, it's like in, in Texas, they have a uh, Hebe and in, in this part of the country, we've got Publix. I love them. I love their customer service. I love the stores. They're not cluttered. They have nice stuff. Um, and I just love them and, and they have a particular sort of, of customer and they cater to those customers and I like it, but I can go into an Ingle sometimes and find, more stuff than I can at my Publix. In fact, during all of these supply chain issues, I was typically, because with COVID and, and the supply chain stuff, my wife couldn't be out and about shopping in grocery stores. Given her health, I was having to do all the shopping, mask up and, and all that and go to the grocery stores. And I would do two or three stores. I'd try like the Dickens to avoid Kroger as best I could. I just don't like going in there. I can't find stuff. There's too much stuff. They want to be like mini Walmart. I avoid Walmart because it's Walmart. Um, but I could, if I couldn't find something at, at Publix, I could more likely than not find it at an Ingalls and vice versa. Um, it's just, uh, having to go through that now. All right. Uh, Jerry, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Hey, Eric, love your show. Thank you. I just wanted to tell you, um, I've got a couple things in common with you. Um, I had a mandolin accident myself a couple years ago while making potato chips and lost part of my thumb as well, but I'm also an Erickson. My name is, my name is Erickson. So there's at least two Ericksons in, in Atlanta that are missing part of their thumbs that I'm aware of. <laughs> we should have a reunion. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going to shake your hand with, uh, with my missing thumb and, well, it's not missing, it's damaged, of course. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. I, I got three-eighths of an inch off of mine. Yeah, mine still looks funny after two years, but um, I did have to go to urgent care. It wouldn't stop bleeding, and it was pretty painful. As soon as I got back home, I tossed that mandolin in the trash and haven't looked back. <laughs> well, I, I will tell you, I used mine again yesterday. I, I figured I needed to get straight back to it. Like like you have a bad swimming accident, you need to jump back in the pool. I, I, I did yesterday. It was touch and go. It was an onion as well. I was a little bit apprehensive. And the, 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 the well, I nearly said a bad word. Um, the, the, the object jammed on me trying to get the blade back out. And now that I'm short of thumb, I had a real hard time pulling it out. And I was like, oh, am I going to cut cut my other hand trying to get this thing? Uh, somebody sent me a, um, a mandolin that you can use where you, it's got like a chute that you put the food in. It takes, I may have to buy one of those because I've got so like post traumatic. You know, okay, Jerry, I haven't said this on radio to everybody, but I'm going to say this with you here. Uh, my, my team okay. may shoot me, but I just, I have to say last week I commented on how frustrated I was when it hurt that bad because it's nerve and muscle tissue damage at the same time. So you got the throbbing mm -hmm. and you got the firing burning sensation. And they're like, well, take Tylenol. You're on a blood thinner, so you can't take ibuprofen or aspirin. So just take Tylenol. I assure America Tylenol does not help with this sort of pain. I was Enough. surprised at the number of my longtime listeners who reached out and, shall we say, offered to bring me alternative medicines. <laughs> <laughs> had no idea had that many listeners. <laughs> Those are really good friends. Those are the kind that would help you move. You know? yeah, the, the, yeah, maybe so. Well, I don't know. I might lose them with that. And then they, they, I was just, I was really shocked the number of people um, who were willing to, to offer their, their recent trips to Denver or wherever. And. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, I'll let you go there. Thank you very much, Jerry. I, I just I was kind of shocked, y'all. I'm very very flattered. By the way, I was very flattered. I had I still had my Tylenol three with the hydrocodone or whatever from when I got my head injury, so I didn't take anybody's offer. But I'm just I was I was impressed. Had that many listeners who were willing to step up. Charlie, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hi, thanks for taking my call again. Like the other listener, I love your show. I just wanted to mention that you know um, as I watch the hearings going on in Washington right now, I think of. The fact that the two greatest days in the United States is when Washington, after defeating the British, came back and resigned his commission to the Continental Congress rather than trying to become a dictator. The second was when John Adams, after losing his election, gave power peacefully, transferred power peacefully to Jefferson and started a tradition, a peaceful transfer of power. I noticed that on both sides that there's this clamoring that the election was stolen for Trump, of which we really don't have evidence that we can take to the bank to say that it was stolen. And the converse is, on the other side, when they talk about this insurrection, they're, they're, they're just blowing smoke that, that, that there was something going on. And it leads to the fact that the media is so important to our democracy and so important that the fact that now that the only way for them to make a profit is for them to speak to one side, whether it's the right or the left, and foment an extremism that it does not allow for us to compromise or get together and do what this country does so well, which is gets together and produces. And we, we are losing... Nixon, or I mean, we're losing like Washington um, had it where he gave up power. He had no lust for power. Mm-hmm. He wanted the power to do the right things, but he didn't seek power for his power's sake. And the same thing with the, um, Adams giving up his position to Jefferson. It was a peaceful yeah, transition you know, of power. I'm glad you say that, Charlie, because I, I you know, I, I wrote a piece this morning and, and, and I, it was more subtext than the text of it. But right now with this conversation that we're having with the the January 6th commission or committee hearings is, look, January 6th was a bad day. But the very same people who say that it's that uh, what happened on January 6th undermines our democracy are the very same people who say the Supreme Court and the Senate are illegitimate. We need to abolish the Senate, abolish the Electoral College, pack the Supreme Court and silence anyone who dissents or, or criticizes them. And that contradiction suggests to me that what's really going on here politically on the left is this is the first time they've really begun to lose power. Because when you think about it, uh, during the 80s and in much of the 90s, they had the they had a, a balance on the Supreme Court that was not explicitly conservative, leaned a little to the right, but not necessarily fully. And they had Congress. They lost Congress, but they had the White House. Bush puts in um, puts in uh, Roberts and Alito, but it keeps the Supreme Court 5-4 with the Kennedy swing. Then Obama comes in. You, you get the Democrats back in power. Trump comes in. He's only there for two years. The Supreme Court doesn't change very much. You've got all the lower courts. you got the Ninth Circuit. you got the Second Circuit. you got the Fifth and Eleventh have shifted to the left. you got all this. And now suddenly, suddenly, right now in this country, uh, we know the Democrats are get, about to get wiped out. 
Biden is ineffective and incompetent. The Supreme Court, the circuit courts, and most of the district courts have now leaned right, and most states now lean right. For the first time is since the 1950s, really, the Democrats have no avenues by which to pursue their agenda. Even with the 5-4 Supreme Court with Kennedy as the swing vote, they could make a case for this Kennedy to shift to the left, to advance an agenda, whether it was the, the gay marriage decision or the like. They don't have that anymore. So, so much of what the Democrats are pursuing right now, so much of how they're operating is all about them finally realizing that they have no avenues by which to get anything done now. This is the political realignment of the country, and it's not going in the way they thought it would go, and it's going poorly for them. Let me squeeze in one more phone call here before we go to break. Bob, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. How are you doing today? Great. How about yourself? Trying to stay cool. Yeah, uh, you and me Talking both. about infl- inflation. Um, I've lived through several cycles of that. And in the past, it was always driven by initially monetary supply. And you've talked about that. But I think that this time there is a unique other driver. And that is our economy is totally dependent on energy. And with mm-hmm. the attack on the energy industry, that shortage is going to continue even if you... Even with the Fed uses their interest rate quiver, or arrow out of the quiver, it's not going to stop the inflation that we're going to see continuing because of the lack of the cutback of energy and the cost going up. And the well, oil companies have said, you're going to try to drive us out of business. We're not. We're going to make all the money we can while we can because our business is going to go away. Yeah, 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 that's a great point. And I've actually, I, I've got a story here I, I want to talk about regarding this that, uh, listen to this quote, this is from the Financial Times. When the White House started calling around the oil industry in a panic, they thought shale oil production could grow sharply in the near term, like in a matter of months. They were shocked to learn that's like asking for blood from a stone, given the amount of investment that would have to take. And the oil companies are refusing to invest right now because the Biden administration has declared the end of the oil industry. I mean, would you invest in a company when the leader of the free world says he's going to put them out of business? Would you invest in a company that uh, the president of the United States says he's going to mobilize all of America to go against? Of course you wouldn't. And so people in the oil industry are trying to get a return on their investment now and not produce more oil. They're, they're, they're trying to get some value out. So no, they're, they're not going to do it. That's a problem. And it's starting to wreak havoc on the Democrats and it's going to ruin their chances in November. I've got details on this when we come back. There are a lot of options out there. If you're a self-starter and you want to invest on your own, it can be really confusing. And I'm delighted to tell you about SoFi because that's who I use. And now I've got them as an advertiser. If you're a SoFi user, uh, my gosh, you get all sorts of options, great research. You get the ability to invest in stocks, EFTs, crypto, plan out your retirement. Uh, More importantly, you got people you can call on. I mean, for example, um, I can use SoFi to buy stocks and EFTs and do the deep dive research if I need to and get complimentary financial planners ready to help answer questions. Uh, You can too, whether you're stuck on where to start or need help deciding what to to do next. You can even save for retirement with traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. They have so many options. If you're into crypto, 
You can also explore crypto. They've got 30 available coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Dogecoin, and so much more. But more importantly, they've got the number one ranked automated investment tool, their robo-advisor. It takes the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio without having to pay a bunch of experts to do it. I really like SoFi. Y'all, I've tried, you name it, and I probably tried it. And I settled on SoFi and think you will like it as well. Cut through the jargon, make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com slash Eric to learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's SOFI.com slash Eric. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member Fin if you text the word show to 33777, you will get a link back from me. Actually, you'll get several links back from me. Let me get, you know what? I'm going to do this. Text the 33777 is the number. I'm going to text the word show, and then I'm going to get back. Look, I got the iTunes link, the Spotify link, the Google Play link, the Stitcher link, the 24-7 live stream link, and the link to subscribe to my daily email where you get the show notes, all the stuff I'm talking about, all the links to all the stuff I'm talking about, you get, including the Stephen uh, Gutowski piece from The Reload breaking down the, um, the the new gun control bill. So you can get the podcast, the 24-7 stream, all of it by texting the word SHOW to 33777. Now, I, I got to, you know, I, I previewed the, the, the Democrat story. I'm going to get there. But before I do, Smithfield Foods citing high costs of operations to close pork plant in California. Yes, I didn't realize. So our we we eat a lot of bacon in our house. Uh, There's one of the things I got at uh, hell this weekend, Sam's Club. You know, allegedly we're getting a Costco. I've never been to a Costco. And I hear it's heaven compared to the hell that is Sam's Club. I really, I don't like Sam's Club. It's just the the most awful shop experience. Although now you can like keep your phone with you and ring up everything as you put it in your buggy yourself and just walk out the door. It's wonderful, but it's still just, it was miserable going in on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, I'm told if you go in at eight o'clock in the morning during a weekday, it's not that bad. Maybe I'll have to try that. Anyway, Smithfield Foods, the largest pork producer in the United States by volume, is closing an 1,800-person plant in California and shrinking the size of its hog herd in the region, saying the cost of doing business in California wasn't worth it. I did not know this. Smithfield is owned by a Hong Kong-based pork conglomerate, WH Group. Had no idea. It said Friday it would close the plant in Vernon, California, just outside Los Angeles in early 2023, citing higher taxes, utility costs, and labor costs in the state compared with other areas where it operates. The decision to close the plant comes as food suppliers are dealing with increased costs on items like livestock feed, transportation, and packaging. Russia's invasion of Ukraine, one of the world's top grain-producing regions, has sent the price of livestock feed higher in recent months. In California, the cost of utilities is three and a half times higher per head to produce pork compared with the 45 other U.S. plants Smithfield operates, a company spokesman said. California officials did not immediately respond to requests for comment. It is too expensive to do business in California for too many companies. And so they're done. I don't blame them. I didn't realize Smithfield was owned by a Hong Kong group. I thought it was an American company. We buy tons of Smithfield bacon because my kid 
goes through a pound of bacon every couple of days, uh, loves bacon. So do I. Um, between the two of us, we're eating a lot of bacon in the house. And we tend to get Smithfield in large part because uh, for some reason, I don't understand why, but the consistency of the cut of the bacon tends to be more reliable when we cook it than the Hormel, which can some pieces really thick, some thin. I don't understand what's going on there, Hormel. We used to always buy Hormel. But nonetheless, they're shutting down their California plan and, and reducing their herd, and that's going to cause prices to go up even more. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877 973 7425. I'm going to string several stories together, one of which I mentioned the other day. Back on May 24th, 2022, uh, New York Magazine ran a piece from Gabriel de Benedetti. Here's the title There has to be a backup plan. There's a backup plan, right? Subtitle. Inside the 2024 soul searching that's happening in every corner of the Democratic Party, and you'll you'll remember this. Let, let me just just read you the first paragraph. On a Tuesday evening in April, nearly half a century after Joe Biden first publicly mused about running for president, an unsettled cross section of the Democratic establishment assembled at Pinehurst, a golf resort in North Carolina. I have an affiliate near there. Inflation was at a 40-year high. Biden's approval rating sat at 56%. And editors of the New York Times were readying a front-page report about how his signature achievement, $1.9 trillion in coronavirus relief spending, had barely registered with voters. The lobbyists, donors, staffers, and elected officials were gathering for the spring policy meeting of the Democratic Governors Association, and the scheduled sessions concerned such topics as health care and diversity in governance. But between panel discussions in the hallways and at the cocktail reception on the lawn, conversations shifted from grim, the midterms, to grimmer, the state of the party's planning for 2024 when Biden will stand for re-election on the eve of his 82nd birthday. You know, for perspective, in 1980 and 84, there was all sorts of concern about Ronald Reagan's age. And he turned it into a line against uh, Walter Mondale that he would not let his uh, opponent's youth and inexperience uh, be a campaign issue. And everybody laughed during the debate, put the issue aside. Reagan left office a year younger than Biden was when he took office. Now, that was from May 22nd. This is from Saturday in the New York Times. Should Biden run in 2024? Democrat whispers of no start to rise. That's the title, the subtitle. In interviews, dozens of frustrated Democratic officials, members of Congress, and voters expressed doubts about the president's ability to rescue his reeling party and take the fight to Republicans. From Reed Epstein and Jennifer Medina, midway through the 2022 primary season, many Democratic lawmakers and party officials are venting their frustrations with President Biden's struggle to advance the bulk of his agenda, doubting his ability to rescue the party from a predicted midterm trouncing and increasingly viewing him as an anchor that should be cut loose in 2024. As the challenges facing the nation mount, and fatigued base voters show low enthusiasm. 
Democrats in union meetings, the back rooms of Capitol Hill, and party gatherings from coast to coast are quietly worrying about Mr. Biden's leadership, his age, and his capability to take the fight to former President Donald Trump a second time. Interviews with nearly 50 Democratic officials, from county leaders to members of Congress, as well as with disappointed voters who backed Mr. Biden in 2020, reveal a party alarmed about Republicans' rising strength and extraordinarily pessimistic about an immediate path forward. To save our to say our country was on the right track would flagrantly depart from reality, said Steve Simonidis, a Democratic National Committee member from Miami. Mr. Biden, he said, should announce his intent not to seek re-election. But wait, the quote, the quote that is getting all of the attention is from David Axelrod, the chief strategist for Barack Obama's winning campaigns. I know David Axelrod. David Axelrod uh, is guarded in what he says. Very nice. He and his wife, lovely people, disagree fundamentally on politics with him, all that, but he's a great guy. Uh, just he's a, he's a very, very nice, caring human being, um, cares deeply about this country, even if we disagree on the path forward. Uh, and he knows democratic politics. And when David Axelrod speaks and he doesn't have to speak, and when he speaks, Democrats pay attention to him. And let me read you his quote, because it is causing all sorts of problems at the White House today. Here's the quote. The presidency is a monstrously taxing job, and the stark reality is the president would be closer to 90 than 80 at the end of a second term, and that would be a major issue. Biden doesn't get the credit he deserves for steering the country through the worst of the pandemic, passing historic legislation, pulling the NATO alliance together against Russian aggression and restoring decency and decorum to the White House. And part of the reason he doesn't is performative. He looks his age and isn't as agile in front of a camera as he once was. And this has fed a narrative about competence that isn't rooted in reality. For all of the talk and the kind words at the end, you notice how, how, Axelrod's quote gives Biden a lot of credit and implies the narrative is counter to reality. But it's the first part that stings. It's the first part that hurts. It's the first part that causes problems. The presidency is a monstrously taxing job, and the stark reality is the president would be closer to 90 than 80 at the end of a second term, and that would be a major issue. He's right. He's right. Now, I got to say a couple things here. Biden's age and capacity and performance were all issues in 2020. They kept him in the basement. They guarded him. They had the benefit of using COVID to limit uh, the crowd sizes at events. In fact, him limiting his crowd size at events intentionally uh, has led to one of the whole conspiracy theories about the election in 2020 that he never had big crowds. Clearly, 80 million people couldn't vote for him. Look at his crowd size. Well, they intentionally limited the crowd size. They intentionally limited his interaction with crowds, and they intentionally kept him in the basement for the most part. So he never really had to campaign. And now when he does get out there, we see why, because he's not very good at it these days. He's not good on his feet. He puts his foot in his mouth. 
He causes himself problems. He's not good. He's starting to campaign and act like an 80-year-old. And if he sticks around, he'll be closer to 90. The Democrats know this is a problem. I want to be somewhat counterintuitive, however. It is fair to say, and Joe Scarborough from Morning Joe pointed this out, that in 1982, Republicans were saying the same thing about Ronald Reagan. He was old. Women didn't like him. You know, this is actually the opposite here. With Reagan, he was winning barely every constituency, but not women. Uh, Biden is losing every constituency except women. There's there's a big opposite there uh, that needs to be pointed out in that coverage of, of saying, well, this happened to Reagan. Yes, but Reagan was uh, winning maybe only barely. He was barely winning men. He was winning white people. He was, he was winning the college educated. He was winning the blue collar, uh, but he wasn't winning, winning women. Uh, he was winning uh, some women, but not all women. In, in Biden's case, he's winning women, but he's not winning anybody else. He's not winning the college-educated men, the uncollege-educated men. He's not winning winning blue-collar women. He's not winning uh, white voters. He's losing Hispanic voters now. It's not good for Biden. But with Reagan and with Clinton and even with Obama and with Trump, There was all sorts of grumbling in the midterm that, well, maybe he just needs to throw in the towel. He's not very good. Uh, Obama, to some degree, was mitigated. It was the fringes of the party. But with Trump and with um, Ronald Reagan and now with Joe Biden, there's all of that talk. And Reagan was able to pivot and turn the corner. Bill Clinton had it, too. After, After the 94 wipeout of the Democrats, first time in 40 years the Democrats lost control of Congress, there was a lot of that. Maybe he should be primaried. He wasn't, and he went on to win re-election. Events change things, and they can change things for Joe Biden. The problem for Joe Biden is that Biden has thus far had a series of events that he could change that he hasn't been able to change. He hasn't lived up to the moment. Reagan lived up to the moment. By 1983, keep in mind, there was a recession in 1982. It was a willful recession. It was designed by what Paul Volcker, I think, who is the chairman of the Federal Reserve, and Ronald Reagan. They knew there was going to be a recession. They knew there had to be a recession to stop inflation, and they timed it for the midterms. Reagan and Volcker, if you study the history of the day and you study what happened uh, with the economy at the time, they knew to contain inflation there would be a recession, and the Reagan administration pressured the Federal Reserve to go on and get it over with as quickly as possible so the nation would rebound by 1984. And in 1984, Reagan ran the Morning in America ad, and he cruised to a blowout reelection. The problem in this case is the Biden administration has denied inflation for too long, and now the Federal Reserve needs to spark a recession, and the recession is going to hit after the 2022 midterms and into the last two years of the Biden administration where he's gearing up for a reelection campaign. So if you have a recession that starts in the first or second quarter of 2023, Democrats are going to start hitting the campaign trail. Uh, They're going to need to for 2024 to start raising money unless Biden's doing it. And there's no guarantee the Democrats are going to allow him to do it. Let me pause here and let me reiterate this because this is the thing that you all need to understand. There are comparisons now Democrats are making between Ronald Reagan and Joe Biden that everybody said Ronald Reagan, it was doom and gloom, despair, get it over with, don't run in 1984, and now the Democrats are doing it to Biden. Reagan won on a landslide, so we shouldn't count Biden out. There's a problem. 
Ronald Reagan and the chairman of the Federal Reserve at the time, I believe it was Paul Volcker, don't hold me to that, they knew there had to be a recession to stop inflation. They knew we had to hit the brakes on interest rates or and everything else to stop inflation, and they did it, and they knew it would be painful. And if you study the history of the age, Ronald Reagan applied extraordinary pressure to make sure they did it as quickly into his term as possible so the recession would be over, done with, and we would have an economic rebound before his reelection. Exactly opposite of Joe Biden. Joe Biden denied it was coming, denied it would happen, denied it was his fault, and denied it would last long if it did happen. They called it transitory. And now it's too late. If the Federal Reserve hits the brakes, as they're going to have to do, it's going to provoke a recession in 2023, not 2022. Reagan's recession came with the midterms of 1982. Joe Biden's will come with his reelection. But there's a problem for the Democrats. Who else do you have to run? Joe Biden was a weak candidate in 2020, but he was the only candidate who could beat Trump. Joe Biden was a weak candidate, but the Democrats couldn't decide on anybody else, so they went with him. Who do you have now? They're not going to give it to Kamala Harris. So if Biden's not the guy, uh, there's going to be a bloodbath in the Democratic primary and the Republicans rapidly outside of the establishment. This is not an endorsement. I'm just giving you the honest truth. The Republicans are consolidating pretty quickly behind Ron DeSantis. Even Trump is less and less a factor when you look at a lot of the polling, a lot of the straw polling, a lot of the behind-the-scenes focus groups with, with Trump supporters. Are, the, the Republicans are consolidating behind DeSantis. There will be several other candidates to run, just as there were against George W. Bush in the year 2000, but Republicans are beginning to consolidate. The Democrats, if Biden doesn't run, they're going to open up wide. Uh, you're not going to have Kamala. It's going to be Pete Buttigieg versus Kamala Harris. Elizabeth Warren, who said she wouldn't run again, is now saying she might run again. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, if she's old enough, if not, she'll find a candidate. It's going to be a messy, messy primary if Joe Biden doesn't do it. To some degree, on the Democratic side, they have to keep Joe Biden or they're going to divide and break out into a civil war. So they may have to keep him and lose so they can regroup as opposed to going through a painful bloodletting while the Republicans are beginning to consolidate behind a guy like DeSantis. And by the way... There's a recession coming, and it's going to hurt them because even if you get out of it by mid to late 2023, it takes a while for people to feel like their economic circumstances are better, and Biden's the guy who's going to get the blame. Reagan knew they needed to get it over with quickly, and they did. And he could run morning in America and say the country had rebounded in 1984. The Democrats won't be able to do that because of Biden's incompetence. Now, while you're looking out there and knowing that this is coming and you're trying to put your finances in order, well, uh, let me recommend a company to you, Patriot Mobile. They give great discounts to people who are veterans, first responders, teachers, and RA members. They give you good discounts. And they take a portion of their profits and they contribute them to the conservative movement. So the Second Amendment movement, the pro-life movement, uh, the veterans and first responders, conservative causes around the country, Patriot Mobile does that, but they do it by having you as one of their customers. So if you go to Patriot Mobile as a customer, not only do they give you good discounts, not only do they give you free activation with my name, 
but they also contribute to the causes you care about because they're explicitly Christian and conservative. What you do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K, or you call them 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. You get free activation. Tell them I sent you. You're dealing with 100% U.S.-based customer service. So you're not calling Mumbai or Bangladesh. You're calling someone in the United States of America. So call them 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you, get free activation, or just go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. If you're concerned about coverage, they got detailed maps, 5G voice data, you name it. Patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan, wherever you are nationwide. If you're in charge of the finances of a business, reach out to them and see if they can help you get to yes with a big deal where banks are telling you no, $750,000 and more. FirstLibertyGA.com. FirstLibertyGA.com. I can squeeze in a phone call here, and I am. David, I want to come to you. I'm interested in this topic. Welcome. Hello. Hi there. How are you, sir? Always I'm good. How about yourself? Um, I'm wonderful. Always, hey, I get to hear you. That's uh, that's awesome enough. But uh, I just want to reiterate what a couple of your uh, callers said before. Um, restaurants, but well, I, I know you brought up grocery stores. Grocery stores, on average, I used to work for them for a long time, average about 3% bottom line because they have so much overhead. They have to charge a certain amount of prices because they throw a lot of it away due to grading of the fruit, going bad, whatever, so they have to... But usually three to three percent is the uh, bottom on that one, and then sometimes as high as six, depending on volume. And then my point to that also with restaurants, one thing with it, I don't know if you've heard this or not, they're estimating about three thousand restaurants in Atlanta closing because they can't keep charging what they're charging because their margins are so small as well. I just wanted to highlight that. You made me think. Yeah, of that listen, uh, you know the. Show. The restaurant industry right now is being just ruined with, with uh, labor shortages and high costs. David, thank you very much for that. Uh, I, I just I would I would love to organize. I don't know a a, a um, brewery crawl or the lawyers would have a field day with that one. A restaurant crawl, something, uh, and just highlight restaurants. Uh, that are on hard times, that are really good, um, that I love. Uh, thankfully, so, so my, my favorite restaurant uh, anywhere, it's called Table and Main. It's up in Roswell, Georgia. They're doing well right now. In fact, I was talking to them the other day that their their business is, they're just going gangbusters. It, it's hard to get in there. Um, and and I, I love those guys. Wonderful, wonderful food. If you ever come to Atlanta, this restaurant, Table in Maine, it's it's north of the city, a place called Roswell. Uh, beautiful little downtown with every single restaurant is phenomenal. And this one's my favorite. Um, it's just it's like a little house, and and it's just the food's incredible. Uh, they're great people. They've got a new restaurant, a Spanish tapas place. I got to try, but nonetheless, um, they're doing well. But I, I know a couple other people. I was talking to a restaurateur the other day and said his his restaurant is it's it's been hurting. And he he hadn't wanted me to talk about it publicly, but I'll just tell you his. His business is starting to rebound, but the costs keep going up for everything and trying to keep customer satisfaction and quality food on the table while dealing with prices and labor. It's very hard for restaurants and grocery stores right now in the country.